Thank you for taking the time to listen to the sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this, you are challenged by the Word of God, you are built up in love, and that you are drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We want to remind you, this is never meant to substitute God's good plan for you to be present in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you do live in the North Toronto area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to join us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. Our desire is that God would use this to encourage you with the hope we have in Jesus. Obedience is not easy. And all God's people said, obedience is not easy. And it's not easy because sometimes we obey for the wrong reasons. There are moments where we try to obey God, but it's because we're trying to get God to love us. And so we drift into this legalistic way of doing things. And then it doesn't become joyful. It becomes this kind of painful reality as we try to push through. Sometimes obedience is hard because we actually don't know what to do with what's commanded. I I just don't have the means. I I don't know how to do what is being said. And then sometimes it's hard because we're not sure what will happen. If I obey God, what is going to happen in my friendships? If I obey God in this, what's going to happen in my workspace? If I obey God, what is going to happen in my family life? We, we just don't know. And sometimes we, don't, we struggle to obey because of doubt. Is all this Christianity stuff real? If I, if I actually live my life according to the scriptures, will there be a reward in the end? Is all of that sort of stuff true? There's moments of doubt that make obedience difficult. Here's the thing though. Obedience is hard, but it's not impossible. Obedience is hard, but it's not impossible. See, when we read the word and when we pray and ask for the spirit of God to help us, who resides in us, we are able to obey what God has said. See, the the spirit gives us the power to do what the word of God is calling us to do. And through the pen of Paul, God is going to give us some commands. Today, we are going to get three commands. And here's the thing about these commands. When we obey them, when we walk in it, it's going to help us personally. It will help us corporately as a church. And it will help people in the world who don't share our faith. So you're like, why should I obey? Well, for those three reasons. It will help you personally. It's going to help our church. And it will help those who don't believe like us. Look at verse 12. It says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Here's our first point today. We get a reminder of how and why we grow. In these verses, we get a reminder of how we grow and why we grow. He he says, therefore, and that, that term is just referring back. He's saying, in light of all that I've said about Jesus Christ, in light of all that he has done for us, you are now to obey. Because he he was obedient to the point of death, because he died in our place, because he humbled himself and served us, we obey like he obeys. See, by Paul connecting things back to Christ, he's reminding us of something that's really important as a Christian. 
Everything that we do must flow from what Jesus Christ has done. Everything that you do must flow from your gospel reality. It must flow from what he has done for me, and now I go out and I obey and serve him with my life. And then he calls them my beloved. I love that word. My beloved. Another translation says, my dear friends. See, what you get here is this reminder, again, of the relationship that Paul shares with these people. That there's this real love and affection between them. That he cares deeply about them. And it shows us the kind of relationships we should aspire for in our church. Our church is a young church. The other, I was counting this. Do you know that our church is only five months old? It is a young church, and we get this opportunity in these young stages where we, where we can develop these strong relationships with one another, but that takes effort. It actually ta- it means making time in your schedule for one another. Yes, we hang and eat after, and we're going to eat after. But we need to be willing to go beyond these walls with one another and just make time for one another so that when the moment comes where we have to speak into each other's life, we know that it's coming from someone who loves us. That we can say hard things to one another and we start with, my dear friend. And we know then, because of the time that we put into one another's life, that this person cares about me and that what they're going to say is going to help me. And so based on this friendship, based on this relationship that Paul has with them, he says, work out your salvation. He says, I I care for you so much that I'm telling you to work out your salvation. Now, in order to understand what he is saying, we need to look at how the New Testament talks about Salvation, Because it sounds like he's saying you need to work for to be saved, but he's not saying that. We need to look at the way the New Testament talks about salvation. So in Ephesians 2, it says, says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. So there's this past reality. You have been saved. And then 1 Corinthians says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So then there's this present thing happening. So we have been saved, and we are being saved. And then Acts 15, it says, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus. So there's this future reality. So we, we, are, we are being saved, have been saved, and will be saved. And the the theological terms for these are justification. So we have been saved from the penalty of sin. So because of the work of Christ on the cross, we will never be punished for our sins, past, present, and future, as long as we're, we're trusting in Christ. Amen over there. And then sanctification. We are being saved from the power of sin. If you've ever wondered why the Christian life is so hard, it's that one. You wake up and you're, tr- you know, you're sort of going on your daily and you're like, this is hard. Like to follow Jesus is not easy. And it's because of that. Because sin's power still is there. And so we are trying by the power of the Spirit to do battle, but it's hard. 
And so when an unbeliever is like, Christians look no different than everybody else sometimes. That's true sometimes. Because the reality is, like everybody else, sometimes we drift back into bad habits and we go back to sinful patterns and we don't look any different. And so we've got to be willing to say, yeah, sometimes that is true. But even though you're calling me out on that, do you know what I have? I have hope in Jesus Christ because I can be forgiven for this moment and so can you. And so there's this reality that we do battle. So there's justification, sanctification, and then glorification. We will be saved from the presence of sin. So sins, one day we are going to be glorified, the Bible says. We're going to be made like Jesus Christ, and it's all going to be gone. We're going to be made new. And so when Paul says, work out your salvation, what he's talking about is sanctification. The, the sanctification process, we have to actively engage in it. God, when he saved us, started a work of transformation in us, and we have a part to play. D.A. Carson says, when it comes to your growth in Christ, we are never told, let go and let God. That's, I don't even know if that's a biblical statement. We're never told in, the, in our growth spiritually that we are to let go and let God. To grow spiritually, we have to put the work in. That means we study the word. We make time to read and ask God to show us what he is saying. We, we pray. We get into these habits of grace knowing that we are going to grow. We engage in the church. I talked about that last week. Fully engaging with one another, serving, using my gifts, going into small groups and being discipled and helping other people grow in Christ. And also we engage with the culture. God doesn't want us just in a holy huddle. He wants us interacting with people who don't share our faith, reading things that even disagree because why? You're going to grow because you'll think deeply while you interact with people who challenge you and push and push us. And so all these things will help us grow in Christ. And we do all of this knowing that it's being done in the presence of God. That's when he, when he says, with fear and trembling, that's what he's talking about. That all that you do is done in the presence of God. And so we do our work. But here's a really important piece. We do our work knowing that it's God's work. You're like, where do you get it from? Look at verse 13 again. For it's God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. See, we put in the effort. It's okay, just look at me. It's just a baby. It's all good. We love babies crying in here. It's a sign of life. So we put the work in, but we ultimately know that it's God who is working in us. That when I, when I get up and I have this desire to read the word, when I get up and I have this desire to be with the saints, when I get up and I have this desire to share my faith, I don't go around saying like, look at me. I stop and I say, thank you, God, because you are the one giving me this desire. See, God has started a good work in you, and he's going to finish the work. In earlier, in chapter 1, verse 6, he says, For he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. That is hope. 
The good work that has started in you is going to be completed. God always finishes what he starts. And so there are moments where we look at our life and we're like, man, I can't believe I'm still right here. Now, you may not be where you want to be in your growth, but here's what I can tell you for sure. You're not where you used to be. If you are truly a child of God, you are not where you used to be. God is working in you. And yes, the growth is slow. Sometimes it's even hard to see. There are moments where I'm like, I thought I was patient. Sometimes the growth is hard to see, but trust me, because the word of God says it. He is working. It is happening, and it's going to be completed. At salvation, we're given a new heart with new desires where we can, as the Bible says, work for his good pleasure. And he is the one making it all happen. Now, sometimes in life, we get instructions given to us, but the instructions are not clear. Like this. Like, look at this. Look at this piece of instruction here. Stop. No parking, no stopping, standing at any time. What should I do there? Look, do or this one. Apply shaving cream to face. And the can does say that. And this poor boy, where's his dad? I mean, help the brother. He's doing what it says and just looking at the can. Sometimes we get instructions that are just not clear. Traffic instructions, hygiene instructions. But you know what? Whenever the word of God instructs us, it's always clear. Look at verse 14. We're about to get a really clear piece of instruction. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Now that is pretty clear. See, when I read that, right away I'm like, that's clear, but it's not easy. It's extremely clear, but it's not easy. There's lots of things that I can grumble and dispute about. Taxes, the 401, winter, there's all kinds of things we can grumble and dispute about. The price of gas, the cost of education. And you notice they always like, you know, put, put the price of gas up when the weather's good. You got to watch those guys. <laughs> cost of education, getting old, being married, not being married. There are all kinds of things that we can grumble and complain about. It's tempting to do that. But the Bible says that through the power of the Holy Spirit, independence on God, we are, to, we are to resist, and here's why, verse 15, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Here's point number two. We get instructions on how to shine our light. We are given instructions on how to shine our light. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Another translation says grumbling and complaining. 
And with this, Paul is actually making a reference to the people of Israel who were in Egypt, trapped, and then God frees them from Egypt, and then six weeks later, they grumbled. They're in the wilderness, and they're like, what kind of leader is this? He has taken us out of Egypt for us to die. And they're like, remember when we were in Egypt and we were by the meat pots? And we were eating leeks? Now, if you read, you know, Exodus on, they weren't sitting by meat pots. It wasn't an easy life. They were being beaten. They were under oppression. See, one of the things about grumbling and complaining, it makes you lose perspective. It, it causes you to stop seeing things clearly. And they, they, have, they lost perspective. And Moses wrote a song in Deuteronomy 32, and he wrote this song in order to warn that generation to not be like the previous. And it says this. It says, they have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. And Moses says, don't be like this generation who, they, they were blemished, they were, they were crooked and twisted because they complained and grumbled against God. And Paul is doing what Moses did. He is warning one generation to not be like the previous generation. He says, don't grumble. Because if you grumble, you will not look any different than those in the culture. And what he says to them, he says to us. When we grumble and complain, we don't look any different. And this is one of the main things God wants his church to do. One of the main things God wants his church to do is to shine their light. Matthew 5 says, let your light shine before others. And the way, the scriptures right here is telling us that one of the ways we can shine our light is in those moments where it's easy to complain, where it's easy to dispute, to choose not to do that. And in doing that, we point the culture to Jesus Christ. That's, how, that's one of the ways we can help the culture because we, we're showing them there's a different way to live. There's someone who can take our most, our most natural fleshly habits and transform and change them. We are like a light saying, here is the way to hope. Here is the way to the one who can, who can comfort you and bring joy to your life. We shine our light by not grumbling, but also by this. Look at verse 16. Verse 16 says, holding fast to the word of life. So we, we shine by not grumbling and complaining, but we also shine by holding fast to the word. The Greek word here actually could mean holding it close or holding it out. So when he says hold fast, he's saying, Christian, hold it close so that it, it gets into you. So that it kind of flows into your life and your mind and your ways because that's going to help you grow. But he's also saying hold it out. Because other people need it. And the reason why you want to hold it out is because it's the word of life. You see it there? 16, holding fast to the word of life. Kevin DeYoung says this about scripture. If you ever think to yourself, I need to know what is true, 
What is true about me, true about people, true about the world, true about the future, true, true about the past, true about the good life, and true about God, then come to God's word. It's a book with great benefit to us. It's a book about us and those we love. And most of all, it's a book that brings us face to face with the one who possesses all greatness, beauty, and power. To be sure, the Bible can feel dull at times. Nobody expected that line in there. It can feel that way. When you are reading Chronicles, and it's just nine chapters of names, that's where you want to give up on the reading plan. It can feel dull at times. That's true. But taken as a whole, and this is even a greater truth, taken as a whole, it is the greatest story ever told. That is why we hold the word out. It's the greatest story ever told, and it's full of power. And and it says that the word of God is able to enlighten the eyes, that the word of God is able to make wise the simple, that the word of God is able to invoke faith in those who lack it. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. See, it's the greatest story ever told because taken all together, what you realize is that it's pointing to our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we hold the word out because it can transform and change lives. If you want to be a person that advances the gospel in the world, then unleash, unleash the word of God in the world and watch it do its work in people's lives. Paul tells the Philippians that when they resist grumbling, when they are different than those around them, it will prove that they're children of God. Verse 15 says, that you may be blameless, innocent children of God without blemish. And when we, we resist that urge to grumble and complain, we, it shows we're not like the wilderness generation, but we are truly children of God. And this This reference to children of God is a reminder of our identity in Christ, that we are are a child of God. And all of this, all of this is made possible by the Son of God. We can't be children of God without the Son of God, our faithful brother who was faithful when we were faithless. And he willingly comes and lives in our place, and dies on the cross so that when we believe the gospel, what happens is that we're adopted into the family of God, that we are God's children. St. Clair Ferguson says, Christians need to remind themselves many times a day, I'm a child of the heavenly Father. Do you do that? Do you get up and you're like, I'm a child of God? Or do you get up and you're like, I'm tired? Can't believe we got to do this again. Do you start with adopted, justified, loved, cared for, helped in every way? Yes, I feel weak, but I am not alone. Is that how you start? Because that's the reality that the Bible says for us, is that we are a child of God. See, we don't obey. This sermon is on obeying God. We don't obey God. We don't resist grumbling because we're trying to get God to love us. 
We obey and we resist grumbling because God already loves us. We work from a place of gratitude. I'm already loved and cared for. That's why I resist my fleshly habits. See, obedience is an act of love. Obedience is an act of love to God, and it's an act of love towards others. That's why the Bible says we love because he first loved us. And so we walk in that reality. It's an act of love to God. And people in the family of God don't grumble and complain. We surrender and trust the Spirit. We're like, yes, the situation's hard. Yes, this isn't going the way I want it to go. But my Father is in control. And so I'm surrendered to Him. So Paul tells us how to shine our light. He wants us to obey, and that's because he wants something pretty specific. Look at verse 16 again. It says, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run or labor in vain. Even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. And what you have here is a call to honor the labor of others. So he tells us how and why we grow, gives us some instructions on how to shine our light, and then he, he gives them this call to honor the labor of others. So Paul now, he transitions from here's how things should go with you, and then he says, here's how it's going with me. And he raises the possibility of his execution. Remember when we started this series, I said, Paul is writing this from jail. And in those times, when you went to jail, you didn't always make it out. So death is a real reality, and he raises that possibility when he says, even, even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering, that's a reference to death. So even if my life comes to an end, that possibility can't steal my joy. He says, even though I may die, it cannot steal my joy because he's more than willing to die to help others grow in their faith. When you, if you read Acts, you'll get that very clear. Paul is more than okay with what may come to him as long as people come to Christ and he makes disciples. He is joyful looking at that final day and he wants them to be joyful. That's why he says, likewise, in verse uh, 18, you should be glad and rejoice with me. He wants them joyful looking at the final day because of what is going to come. You'll be with Jesus Christ on that final day. So be joyful, but he also wants them to obey. He wants them to obey and follow his example, to consider the interests of others, to spread the gospel, to fight for unity within their church. All all at the cost of their lives. Even if your life comes to an end, he's saying, do this. Paul wants them uh, to do for somebody else what he did for them. And he gives them a strong incentive to obey. He says, that, you, that I may be proud that I did not labor in vain, uh, labor or, sorry, run in vain or labor in vain. He says, I've worked hard over you. Now I'm calling you to obey these 
commands, to do the things that I am saying so that I would be proud at the end. It seems like a, a kind of a strange motivation, the way he's trying to motivate them. He's saying, he's saying I want to be proud and grateful. I, in a way, I want to look good. He wants to present them as products of his hard work. And you know he worked hard because of the words he used. He says, I labored over you. I was running for you. There's this guy, some of you know him, his name's Craig Turnbull, and he, he mentored me for two years. And it was a labor. Because when I walked into his life on a Saturday afternoon, uh, I was not in the best space in my life. But Craig just opened up his schedule, made time, and there was lots of correcting because I needed all of it. And he's saying, Marv, you're thinking like this. You should really think like this. Marv, you did that. That was really dumb. Don't do that. And he corrected me, but then he also gave resources to me to help me grow in my faith. And I'll be honest with you, whenever I see Craig, I feel a responsibility towards him. Our second son, River, Craig McCoody, we named him after Craig. And every time I look at the little guy, I, th I think of Craig and the time that he put in. And I feel this res responsibility to honor the labor that he put into my life. And that's right. See, when somebody invests in you, when somebody puts time into you, you as a Christian have a responsibility to honor those labors, to humble yourself and do what the scriptures call for as a way of gratitude towards that person, helping other people grow. And helping other people grow is hard work. Right? Again, Paul uses the word labor. You can't microwave disciples. <laughs> and people are tricky. One week it looks good, the next week it's like, I don't even know where that person is. To help people grow, to make disciples, takes hard work. And if you're like, I want to advance the gospel, I want to see people grow, then you've got to be a person who's willing to roll up their sleeve and put the work in. Because it will make a difference. Doing for others what someone has done for us. Paul says he does not want his labor to be in vain. Now, here's another thing I can tell you. When you're committed to making disciples, sometimes the labor is going to feel a bit vain, like it's vain. You're going to wonder, is this all worth it? When I was on staff at Hope Oakville in 2010, we had this ministry. It was a, it was a uh, Blakelock lunch, it was called. So the building, the old church building had a school behind it, and we used to open up the school on Tuesdays and just invite the students from the high school over. And we just provide lunch for them. And it wasn't a great lunch. Hot dogs, pizza buns. Nobody should even eat pizza buns. But, and the kids would come over and we'd feed them and we'd share the gospel. That was the whole ministry. They knew what they were coming to. They knew the lunch wasn't great, but you should, you should have seen just like hundreds of kids walking across the grass for hot dogs. And there's this one week where my friend Ken Heisey is, he spoke. 
And he gave the clearest gospel presentation I've ever heard. And he's telling them about Jesus. And you got to remember that this thing was, it was a hard labor. You would start talking and kids would be like, put their headphones in. There was a guy in the back, you'd be talking, he'd be like, nope, nope, they're lying, they're lying. You just want to run at him. And you're sharing, and just, you know, there was a, like a kid laid up, just sleeping. And so Ken's given this gospel presentation, and then he's done, and he's like, if anybody wants to talk to me after, or anybody that you see here on the team, we would love to talk to you and answer any questions that you have about Jesus. So this kid comes up, and Ken's talking to me, and uh, Nathan, I think, Nathan Penny was there, and he's tapping Ken on the shoulder, like, Ken, hey, sir, hey, sir, hey, sir, hey, sir, can I talk to you, can I talk to you? And all of us are like, Oh, here it comes. We've, we've labored so long. And so Ken turns, and the kid goes, can you tell me where the ketchup is? <laughs> and in that moment, you're like, ah, oh, this is all a waste. You're just tempted in that moment to think, I could, even Ken's face, I was talking to him this week because I called him saying, hey, I'm going to share a story about you. Is it all good? And he's like, I remember my face. I'm like, yeah, your face was on the floor. You were so disappointed. And in that moment, you think all that we're doing is in vain, that it was not worth it, but it's not. It wasn't in vain. First Corinthians says this, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work. Why? Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. There are moments where you will get up and today will be another day of obedience and it will feel hard and you will wonder, is this all in vain? And the Bible says, no, You'll you'll feel like I'm putting this effort in to work out my salvation, and you'll wonder, is it all pointless? The Bible says no. You will resist grumbling and complaining, and you'll wonder, is it a waste? The Bible says no. You will labor to help others grow in Christ, and you'll wonder, this is hard, this is hard lifting. Is this in vain? The Bible says no. It says, none of it is in vain. See, when we obey like Jesus Christ, when we follow what God says, nothing is wasted. Nothing is wasted. God, in his mercy, in his goodness, he uses it all. He uses it to grow us. He uses it to grow the church. He uses it to bring other people into the faith. That's why we put in the work. That is why we obey. That is why our life needs to be defined by Jesus Christ. And I'll I'll confess to you as your pastor, there are moments where I wonder, is this all in vain? At Christmas, me and Kimmer were walking through Yorkdale Mall and I'm watching all these people who could care less about the thing that we're excited about in December. And I'm walking through the mall and I'm like, our church is in this neighborhood. Is this making a difference? And the Bible says, yes. Our labor over ourselves, our labor over others, our fighting to grow in Christ, none of it is wasted. 
are living for Jesus, committing our life to him, none of it is wasted. And I'm pushing that into you because I know there are moments when we're honest with ourselves that we feel that way. And we wonder, can I still keep doing this and don't give up? Because your labor is not in vain and we will be rewarded. And that's why our life needs to be defined by Christ. This is what it means to live a life of faith in him. Let's pray. Please stand with me as I pray. Father, God, I pray for your grace over all of us and that we would not lose hope. And maybe I'm just the only one feeling that way, but I'll just pray for myself. God, I pray that you would help me, Father, to want to obey you, to fight, to work out my salvation. I pray, God, that our, my brothers and sisters would feel that same call, that same urgency, knowing that none of it is in vain, oh God. I pray, God, that our life would be defined by Jesus Christ and the exaltation of him and following him, obeying like he obeyed. And God, I pray that as we put in the work, you would grow us. And I pray that as we put in the work, Lord God, that more people would come to Christ. So help us, I pray. Yes, we can grumble and complain. Help us to resist that, to shine our light. All for your glory, all for your praise, Lord, with fear and trembling, knowing that we do it all in your presence. And God, we can pray this prayer because of your son, Jesus Christ, who gives us access to you. Help us to sing now as a song of praise and gratitude to all that you have done. In Jesus' name, amen. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit HopeTorontoNorth.com.